0: Golden Deer Productions, Golden Deer, oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Whoa, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. And if you guys hear a little rat dog barking in the back of this damn opener, it's because this little rat dog in my damn apartment complex hasn't shut up all morning. Let me just, let me just lean away from the mic real quick, see if you can hear him. It's like, bruh, someone put a tranquilizer on that thing. Anyway, guys, at the time of this recording, the tickets are now live for the Mini in the Hills, and I'm imagining most of you guys who are listening are not in Los Angeles, but let me tell you this, my party is going to be fucking sick, sick. You guys know that it's my goal to just bring a lot of people together out here, and um, Dude, it's just like a dream, man. I got a fucking crib in the Hollywood Hills. It's going to be about 150 tickets. You buy your ticket. You get free booze. Amazing view. I have a performer coming in named Kai. Don't tell anyone. That was the dude who came on the podcast a couple weeks ago. And, um, bro, it's just like, it's literally just a dream, man. I'm trying to enjoy it. I'm really trying to get the business right on it. Like, I'm trying to figure out how I can maximize profit moving forward. Honestly, what I'm going to need moving forward is someone to just do the numbers for me. Because I'm not good at it. It's a different piece of my brain that's just not my shit. But getting all the promo weapons ready. And um, it's just another great chapter in this fucking story, man, honestly. And I love it, dude. I, I hope I can fucking stroke it on this one. Kill it. And then throw another party seven, eight weeks after that down by the beach in Venice Beach. There's a venue down there I really like for maybe 400 or 500 people. So I think this is going to be the viable way for me to make like real good bread out here. And I love doing it, dude. I love bringing people together. I love throwing events. Throwing events are awesome, except on the night of the event. It's fucking terrifying. Anyway, so that's that. Now, this week on the podcast, we did something a little different. I had my buddy Adam Cantor open up the podcast with us. Now Adam is, we have a mutual friend from back in Boston and the guy's brain is literally just a jokes machine. Like it just does not end with the jokes. And so we just want to try to get a comedian. I really enjoyed having him on. I think we're going to do it again sometime. I hope you guys like it. Let me know what you think. And then I had the pleasure of interviewing one of my closest friends out here, Killian Dunn. Now, Killian wrote the next GDP movie and essentially me and him talk every day. And it's been really nice having him out here. He's a writer just because I feel like, um, one, he wants to be a huge fucking screenwriter and knowing that someone has a big goal like that, similar to your goal, but adjacent to your goal is nice. We're, We're just fucking hustling out here together. We're meeting everybody together. He's helping out with everything. And, um, he's a really smart fucking kid, man. Really smart kid. He's the type of kid, you know, like, yo, if he really never quits, he's going to get to where he wants to go. I mean it. Like, he's a really gifted writer. He understands story really well. And um, I hope you guys enjoy. Really enjoyed it. Myself, all love. Take it away. My compiled thoughts. Boom. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not
1: it? Enter. Just, you forgot to enter.
0: Said hiking, we're in the simulation, literally, take a look at this LED wall behind us.
1: It's super creepy, man. I it, feel like I'm in the computer right now. You do? Yeah.
0: Well, let me just say something. If I didn't point out that this was an LED wall, do you think the people behind the camera would notice? Or, do, think, or do, they think, do you think they would think we were actually recording this at sunset in the hills?
1: No, I think they would assume that we had done that, because if we were recording it in the hills, we would hear the sound of tourists being very grumpy. At this hour, though. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, definitely. People, like, they come to hike at, like, the worst times. Also, 11 in the morning is, like, the best time to hike on a Saturday if you're a tourist. Because you're probably going to a show later tonight. You're probably getting lunch somewhere. And you're like, ah, we'll get a morning hike in. Piss off all the the locals. This is the worst time to go hiking if you live here.
0: I think that's an incredibly acute point. (laughs) Thank you. But let me introduce you first. Sure. So, we figured we would open up the show a little different today. We're caught in the simulation, and when you get caught in the simulation, you start thinking different. You start coming up with new ideas. And Kill and I were on the phone yesterday, and we said, Dude, you remember the jokes machine from Hotel Irwin? The jokes machine? The dude doesn't stop with the damn jokes.
1: They just keep coming. We gotta get that guy on the
0: So after that top secret meeting, that's not so top secret anymore.
1: Yeah, now you've told me.
0: I then asked God. And he said, Don't ask me, ask the dear gods. I talked to the deer gods. They said, get at them on the show. Oh,
1: the deer gods are still taking your calls? They
0: are, man. After all these years. <laughs> after
1: everything, man. <laughs> after I everything we've Christ, been through. You must have apologized real nice to them.
0: <laughs> Honestly, man, I, I, to be honest with you, dude, their forgiveness means the world to me.
1: <laughs> I, Yeah, I would think so. That's like your everything. <laughs> Dead ass. So, it's on my shirt. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, man. Congratulations. But,
0: but on my right camera left, I have, and, and as you had asked on the phone writer and comedian adam cantor hello and i was just like you know man we are in the snake pit let's just give the guy the damn floor thank you so the, so the floor is yours brother uh, and, and can i just say this was this shirt
1: calculated today yes okay 100 percent.
0: all right i was gonna say that would be quite the coincidence if it was not
1: oh no i i came prepared to look great on audio
0: oh no we're on video great you're you know that right yeah <laughs> okay good i still want to stress you out
1: no, nah, I'll be fine. Okay, great. I do love. I heard the the phrase once. Someone's like, "Yeah, they have a real face for radio." I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense."
0: <laughs> yeah. Some
1: people shouldn't be on camera. You, I, how
0: many people in this room do you think should be on camera?
1: I think like us. <laughs> Fuck you guys. I think we did it correctly. Yeah. I'll be honest. I think this
0: is planned well, but kill after we run this this opening, kill is going to pop into your seat.
1: Well, well, we can still Photoshop my face over it so it's palatable. Oh, that's, right? a,
0: that's a great point. Yeah,
1: we can do a little Sound of Music podcast thing. You, where... you have
0: a very alpha face.
1: Thank you. I've, <laughs> I've always felt that way. Have you? Yeah. Grow- I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a nose forward kind of person, which is like, you know, go out and get them. Yeah, <laughs> <kind of
0: thing. laughs> really just be aggressive.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm not an aggressive person, so I need an aggressive face because without this, I am the least intimidating person ever. Like
0: I disagree with that. I don't think you're not aggressive when have you ever thought that oh you thought that your whole life
1: oh yeah i've definitely never felt like a particularly strong individual physically (laughs) like when i was younger i used to get like um, i I would get like stressed out playing super mario brothers like this is how weak i was like (laughs) i'd be playing like super mario brothers 2 for game boy advance sp and i was just a mess like every death would hurt me to my core i'd be crying sometimes Screaming Like, I can't take on, like, a bully or, like, an actual, like, violent person if Mario deaths are what are, like, ruining my life.
0: But that's a very alpha trait. You hated losing.
1: I did hate... Oh, that's a great... Thank you for reframing that. I did hate losing. I hated losing so much, like... My my parents would frequently, like, come in as I was playing this game to be like, Adam, like, what are you doing? You look miserable. And I'd be like, no! I have to win. I have to beat it. Because a Mario death cuts you to your core. There was one time I remember... I was like I was losing so bad. It was one of the jungle levels or those giant fucking worms. Mm-hmm. And I was crying and screaming. This is what it sounded like to my parents in the other room. They'd hear like boo
2: doo 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 fuck.
1: Boo doo doo shit. My dad comes in. He's like, "Adam, why do you keep doing this to yourself? You're clearly not having any fun." And I look up at him with just tears and snot and I go, "I'm having fun." So clearly I have, Clearly, I'm a very strong individual. If that's if that's what used to shake me to my core.
0: Now, did your parents advise therapy after these episodes?
1: I think they advised therapy before these episodes. Okay, my dad used to. Say, this was this your this therapy. Is actually, totally true. My dad used to say, "Adam, I'm kind of worried about you." <laughs> did he? Yeah, because I like I was a really weird kid. Like as you can imagine, just super goofy, like always doing characters and voices and things. Because like I didn't know how to talk to people, and but I would do them around the house. Cause again, I didn't know how to talk to people, and my dad would be like, "Adam, like, you should really learn how to like interact." <laughs> yeah, but that's such
0: an interesting dichotomy. I feel like you have such a, you have such a like a genetic for performing. Thank and, you. And it was hard for you to socialize as a kid.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's yeah, because I, I didn't have any self awareness. Like, I didn't know how. Yeah, but you're not supposed to be eight years old and be self aware. No, right? I know, but like, I didn't realize like, how being just like a constant like human cartoon, like how that read to the rest of the room. You know, like I used like I used to get like really vitriolic that like my Pokemon cards were cooler than people's sports cards. And like, that's not true at all. But I would get like, like I would like, like get like combative about it and that's not like, who wants to hang out with that kid? That's like, oh well, yeah. Well,
0: Nick clearly wanted to hang out with that yes,
1: kid. Yes, Nick wanted to hang out with that. but he was also like that. He yeah. was like, yeah, my Charizard is better than your Derek Jeter. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he all, he always loved Pokemon too. Nick is uh was my neighbor in Cambridge, and that's how I know Adam. They're they're buddies, and he, yes. they hooked us up when we got here. Now, can we just rewind real quick? Sure. What does vitriolic mean?
1: Uh, like vitriolic, like righteous anger. Like so, if I'm so you've always like, been smart, huh? <laughs> I mean, I've always known words. If that if that's anything, I don't know. I I think it's interesting. I think my I think I my brain was able to process information faster than it was able to process like what was happening around me. So like, I always felt like it's interesting. I like, always felt like I was mentally like one step ahead, but socially I was always like a mile behind. So you were an alpha the whole time. Yeah. you were one of those quiet alphas. Yeah, no, I was definitely, definitely a wolf in a dead wolf's clothing. Like, oh, I like that. But yeah, it was, it was weird because you know, I, I like the way I related to the world was through like TV characters and like doing impressions and trying to make jokes and people would always get annoyed at me. Like kids would get annoyed at me. They're like, Adam, like stop, like trying to be funny. Stop trying to be funny. And at first that wasn't what was happening. That was just me being ridiculous. And then eventually I was like, oh, actually this is kind of how I understand the world is, is through humor and through making jokes. And it was funny when you were like, oh, the, the joke machine, he just keeps rattling them off. Well, honestly, one of the biggest, like I, I'm always like struggling to figure out where the character ends and where Adam begins. It sounds like a nightmare. Bro. It is. It is a nightmare. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. I'm like, am I playing the role of Adam or am I actually just being myself? Well, who is Adam? A lot. <laughs> no. I, I, now I'm talking about myself in the third person. I. Who am I? <laughs> that's a great. That's a great question. I don't think I figured that out yet. I think. I, think, I have had uh,
0: problems with that myself, truthfully, and I know. I know where you're coming from because I can get like very salesy and sure. and I'll get locked in that mode for a long yep. time.
1: And then you're Connor the salesman and then you come out of that and you're like, that was weird. Like, Who was that guy, man? Here's, I'll give you another, oh, here's another example. Like I wanna like think of myself as the tough guy, but like when push comes to shove, I'm definitely not. Like do you remember the day that everything shut down like March, 2020? For covid i believe it was the the 17th it was like the 13th or the 17th it was when tom what, hanks,
0: yeah when did tom hanks get yeah it, it was
1: when tom hanks <laughs> and rudy gobert's legacies were intertwined forever because rudy gobert was like this yeah which yeah. is i think the funniest thing ever that like now they're forever etched in history with each other really but remember like everyone was going to the grocery store to like stock up on food and, and things and so i was i was no different and i got in line i got in line at the fish counter because i was like i gotta get my salmon and there's
0: that was the first thing you went for that
1: was the first thing i went for because i knew i was like produce is gonna go first and like most of the red meat was gone most of the chicken was gone but i was like
0: so your survival brain said i'm gonna go get some salmon yeah it's healthy last you know how long that takes to prepare
1: like 20 minutes in the oven 15 minutes on the flat top i do know how long that's prepare i make a lot of salmon okay understood um so i get in line and there's one dude in front of me and two stuffed salmon left. Oh yeah, I get the stuffed salmon I don't want to I don't want to spend the effort to prepare it I like I need them to do it in store and I'm like, all right I'm gonna get those stuffed salmon but the dude in front of me orders one of them and I'm like, okay, one left but he turns to me and he goes, hey like totally unprompted he's like, hey, you know if this shit gets really crazy I got two machine guns in my garage like I think I'll be able to take care of it <laughs> Yeah, takes his fish and leaves, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" Like, thank God he went first because I was about to get both stuffed salmon. Holy shit, shit was gonna get crazy. Were there's... you in LA? Yeah, that was a that was a rouse in North Hollywood.
0: I heard it was like chaotic here when COVID hit.
1: It was wild because everyone, yeah, everyone hoarded, and no one knew what to no one knew what to do. The world shut down. I didn't leave my apartment for like two months, basically, other than to go grocery shopping. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest, you, you could have left the house if you wanted. Yeah, I was so I was so scared, man. I was really. I told you I'm not a I'm not a very like strong-willed human. Like especially like my body, I was like, God, I don't want to die. I like this whole existing thing. You like this vessel. I love this vessel for the most part. I think I have a great body. Well, I, I do too. I think chicks
0: would think you have a great body too.
1: I I, I would hope so. I hope it's like seventy percent humor, twenty percent body, ten percent emotional intelligence is like what makes up the date atom. Okay. Play is, is that what you put on hinge? I don't put a number to it. I just hope that that comes through through interactions. But I usually don't. Do you think that's
0: how women calculate it? They're like seventy percent humor, twenty percent. I mean,
1: the ones that spend enough time to like do the math.
0: (laughs) That's a good point.
1: Probably. I would hope. I would hope so.
0: Now we have about two minutes left with this cold open, and I just want you to kind of explain what your dating history has been like in L.A. and if you have any great dating stories, tell me.
1: Oh, dating in L.A. as anyone would tell you is very bizarre. Because every, like, no one takes it seriously, I don't think. Especially, like, any... Like, LA is such a croissant-filled city anyway. Like, everyone's so fucking flaky. That, like... <laughs> I like that. Thank you.
0: What up? Pun. Uh,
1: that, like, just getting to the date part is, like, a miracle. I have, like... I feel like there's, like, five stages. It's, like, the match is, like, stage one. Starting the conversation... Keeping the conversation going, agreeing to go on the date, actually showing up on the date. I once I was driving to a Tinder date once, like had confirmed and everything. And literally, like I was coming from the Valley to Venice because she didn't have a car. And I'm like, I'll be a gentleman. Like, I have wheels. I'll meet you there. I'm horny. And like on the drive over, she was like, "Ah, I'm not really feeling it. And like canceled on me. And I was so annoyed. Is that
0: that how she texted you? She said, I'm not really feeling it. Yeah.
1: Well, she was like, I have homework tonight and i was, How like, old was she bro she's in grad school she's in grad <laughs> okay. school no i know i was that was my first thought i was like shit like like homework that you need help with Cause like i can help you holy shit no um i went on a date with a girl once at uh, at el tejano in in north hollywood and her favorite band was nickelback and then she said she didn't want to see me anymore and that hurt yeah,
0: that's a real punch to the gut.
1: Yeah, that took me a year to process. I haven't <laughs> told that. This is the first. You're still time. not over. This is the first time. I that was two years ago. This is the first time I've admitted to it.
0: <laughs> Holy shit! Well, anyway, man, thank you for joining us. Thank I, you
1: so much for having me. This is fun. Let's do this. It was again. this was
0: a nice way to open the episode? I think. We'll, yeah. Next time I land up in an episode, I'll hit you up. We'll do it again. Bring me back. Yeah. All right, brother. Thank nice you, time. man. Kill. You want to swing in? Do you want to just cut it? Do you want to just keep it rolling? Mm-hmm. All right. You want to warm the seat for him? disturbing okay kill jump on in man three two one and now we're in podcast mode and i got to tell you something before i introduced guest on my right camera left i actually really enjoyed that did was, you like
2: it he was funny came, yeah.
0: came with some great energy man Gio, what'd you think yeah.
2: he always comes in with great energy though he does he's always happy
0: yeah he's a good dude well, uh, yeah, we'll see. I think we'll probably take a couple episodes to like, get on the same page like timing and format-wise for him, just so we can like lay him up with great jokes, but um, that was great. Now, now we're recording a podcast. So, before I introduce my guest, who's engineering the episode today? Yeah. Geronimo. The silent assassin. The young heartthrob. And... So in Los Angeles, just as a preface, because I am in host mode right now, I talk to a few people every single day. And the man, young man, young aspiring, is it Stephen Sorkin or Aaron Sorkin? Aaron. Young aspiring Aaron Sorkin on my right is one of those individuals I speak to all the time. Because we entered the snake pit together, we'll die in the snake pit together. On my right, camera left, is Killian Dunn, and I know his dad listens to this, so I'm gonna give him a proper interview. Thank you, man.
2: Thank you for the uh, warm introduction, and yeah, dad, hello. I know you're gonna be listening to this.
0: And what is your dad's name? Is it Joe? Joe. Okay, cool. Yep. Now, Kill, just introduce who you are, what you do. You know how we run the show. Give us a little bit of a lowdown.
2: Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> I'm Killian Dunn. I'm uh, I'm from Dublin, Ireland, but I was born in Boston. That's how. Uh, so Connor and I got put in touch initially, but I'm a writer. I'm an author uh, and an aspiring screenwriter as well.
0: And and Kill has also finished projects. It's not like he's it's like an idea out there that he's a writer. Like mm. I've picked up on a lot of people out here. They want to write. You've actually finished stuff.
2: Yeah, I've written three books. <laughs> uh, just finished my third book, <clears throat> maybe a month and a half ago. So it's not uh, it's not released or anything yet. But I'm, I'm shopping it around.
0: And you can't promote that at all because it's you sign NDAs and stuff, right? No,
2: not, no. I didn't. I can definitely promote it. Wait, uh,
0: wait this is, but this is the one we're talking about in your room? You can promote that now?
2: I can. Yeah. This is the, uh, the uh, whole the priest thing? School? Yeah. The, oh, you can talk about it? I can talk about okay, it. Okay. Yeah. Go yeah, for it. Well, I can't give you uh, names. Any, any names, but I can talk about the, the crazy story. I can talk about the book. Like, I can talk about everything except for the actual people involved.
0: Okay, I so let's actually get to that. Let's start off like when you got the inkling of wanting to be a writer in the first place. Because yeah. I think when I was growing up, I was like, dude, this is the most boring thing of all time. Why would <laughs> yeah. I want to sit down for 10 hours and write a story?
2: It's kind of ironic. Uh, I, I don't read I, I was never like a reader. Uh, English was one of my least favorite subjects in school. Um, just like wasn't good at it. Like, but I, I love like storytelling. I love stories. Always love movies. And uh, one day, like in my last year of school, I uh, I watched this movie Midnight in Paris. Have you ever seen that? The mm. Woody Allen? Okay. It's amazing. It's uh, it's an incredible movie, but I watched it and, and uh, like as soon as the credits started to roll, I was like, Fucking hell, like I could I could do that. I was like I, I could write a movie like that. So I just started I literally just opened up my laptop and started writing a script and uh, wrote like a ten page short short that was absolutely terrible. Like it was, I have reread it and it's like basically like illegible. But uh, I just got like, got the spark, got the fire and just like never stopped. And that was- like, How eight, old are you? Eight, I was like 18 going on 19.
0: Now, did you understand, like when you watch movies growing up, did you understand the language of screenwriting right away? Cause that comes intuitively to some people.
2: No, God, not at all. Yeah, I, I like was very far off. Like my base like was very far off. I just I kind of like loved movies, you know, I just, I was obsessed. I would watch literally like I would get home from school and watch two movies a day, like new movies that I hadn't seen.
0: Were you like wildly obese? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had a lot of acne though. Okay.
2: Yeah, I had a lot of acne. I like went on medication and stuff. What, what like, were you on the clear? So
0: I was on Accutane.
2: Like yeah. So I was miserable. What, did your hair fall out? Hair fell out, like uh, violent sweats. I was like the least attra- attractive person in Dublin. Really? Right now, two years. Are you serious? Your yeah. acne was that bad. It was. Oh, I, you it don't was even really have scars
0: bad. or posh marks or anything.
2: Cause dad, I know you're watching this. My dad used to call me pizza face cause Damn, it was dad, that bad. Dad, that's yeah. vicious.
0: That's the last thing a kid with acne it wants to It was
2: vicious, but it was true. Like it was really bad, but it was probably, I just had a bad diet. Like I, I played soccer and stuff, but. That's also genetic
0: okay. though. So you should blame your dad.
2: Maybe. i <laughs> dad. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so you would go home, watch two movies a day. And so probably over time, do you think you're kind of like, you're accruing the knowledge of how a movies put together, how a screenplay is developed or Yeah,
2: big time. I think uh watching like all those movies just kind of gave me gave me like a really broad knowledge. I like I I love like <clears throat> genres for specific reasons, but I kind of like love every genre like for what it is. And I think when you like really cast wide net with your interests, you you just like you understand like different kinds of people better. And I think it just like gave me a good baseline for when I did start writing that I, I wasn't kind of pigeonholing myself into one particular genre. So watching like two or three movies a day was literally like going to film school for me.
0: I'll also tell you and I don't know if this is something I've ever told you, I think it's, and it already has been it's a great benefit that you're a social kid and like you have real social ability and you know how to talk to people because I think most writers tend to be more introverted.
2: For sure. But one thing I realized, uh <clears throat> especially this last like year, you know, working from home and and all that stuff, uh, having those social skills is like the most important part of writing. Cause like if you can't write people and the way they interact, like the people who are watching the movie or reading the story are gonna be like, What the fuck is this? Like, this isn't how people talk. And like people pick up on that right away when they read a script. So it's it's so important to get out there like actually meet people in real life and then kind of like use those experiences to build your character why
0: do you say this last year you think like you were like socially inhibited or
2: for sure yeah i i did it to myself i worked from home like i just i i uh moved here and got really crazy about writing like i i'd heard so many stories from people saying like basically weren't like horror stories i hate
0: you. hearing that shit so much it's like dude just shut up
2: yeah yeah it was it got to me though like a lot of people are like don't go out there. And You'll just, never like, make it. Start smoking pot and going to the beach every day. Like you gotta actually write. Like if you're a writer, like you have to actually write. And uh, I took it to heart and just like was crazy for like a solid year. Just d- didn't go out on the weekends. Spent eight to ten hours on Saturday and Sunday each day, like just knocking out scripts. It benefits me now because people are starting to read my stuff and you know screenplays are going to this person and that person at this. Management company in this agency, so it's a great feeling having people read your stuff. But I mean, goddamn it! Like it, being a writer is like kind of fucking lonely sometimes. Like, and you definitely when you're isolating yourself to like complete projects, you kind of start to think to yourself, "Damn, like I need to get out and, and talk to people."
0: I felt the same way when I used to edit all my own videos because I would lock in for like eight. I would just pop tons out Adderall and I'd lock in for like eighteen <laughs> hours. But it's the same thing yeah and, and you're like you're totally detaching yourself from society to finish something
2: yeah and it's a great feeling though like it, it you know when you my i was just telling someone the other day writing the the words the end is like my favorite feeling in the world like writing those two words at the end of the script just like god like leaning back in your chair like this just going fuck me like thank god like that first draft is over now i can just focus on the second draft and then the third draft. But like the hardest part is just finishing your first draft.
0: Now, when did you get the inkling that you wanted to come to LA?
2: I kind of always knew I wanted to, um, but it really hit home for me. My last year at college, I, uh, I wrote this script called the Fisherman of Isla Morata and I uh, went to
0: Northeastern for reference. I
2: went to Northeastern University in Boston, five-year program. So I was a 24-year-old graduate. A lot of kids I knew were, you know, two years out of school already. So I was kind of itching to get out anyway. Uh, that's why I didn't like live at home for a year or anything like that. I just wanted to get out. Where were uh, your co-ops? Co- one co-op, Reebok. Oh, um, really? Second co-op. In the seaport? In the seaport. Yeah, which was awesome. Um, first co-op was fucking terrible. I sold dental implants over the phone. Ugh. which was did you, pretty awful did you close any sales i closed <clears throat> maybe two or three uh but they actually wouldn't let me on the phones after about a month because i uh, accidentally sold some dentist the wrong size <clears throat> implants so when he started to do surgery on on his client <laughs> he put in the wrong size like teeth and the dude was in like a lot of pain like they called my office and they like <laughs> You fucking assholes. Like you gave us the wrong size. They wouldn't let me on the phones afterwards. I was like demoted to, to like the janitor's system basically.
0: Wait, so slow down. So essentially you closed the sale. There's a certain specific size of dental implant. Mm-hmm. They were preparing to put the product in the dude's mouth. Do they like jam it in his mouth? It like just didn't fit or
2: they I believe so. Sh- yeah. They were mad. So that's
0: partially your fault, but shouldn't the dentist have vetted that too?
2: I think so. Personally, I I think so, but it's mostly my fault because he did give me the exact size requirements on the call, and uh, and I was just like the asshole that put it in the system wrong.
0: Holy shit! How did you feel after that?
2: I was uh, I was pretty embarrassed, but I uh, I knew it wasn't for me. I I wanted to get out of the de- the dental game pretty quickly after that. But Holy I had five months shit. left in my co-op, so they uh, they basically just demoted me to like the like. The trash man really yeah i would like bring out the trash i would like stack boxes that's where's this place. downtown boston this is in jamaica plain okay yeah right by like the jp um tra- the train station was
0: this delta dental
2: no bicon
0: bicon yeah. wow yeah so. so did you just have two co-ops i had two co-ops okay yeah. all right so you're 24 you graduate and you're like all right it's time to Go out to
2: time to go out yeah i was I like i always knew i wanted to but i you know i wrote this script that uh i was really proud of and <clears throat> i put it up on this website called the blacklist which is uh it's basically just like a it's like an online paid forum where people can upload their scripts and have industry people like write them so you know it's expense it's it's expensive if you do it a lot it's not meant for like notes it's and, kind of
0: and for reference like Hollywood executives and agents scour the blacklist all the time to try and find like the next best script. So if you get validation on there, it means like, yo, you're doing something right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So I, I wrote this script and uh, basically if you get an eight out of 10 or, or higher, it gets sent out to like, I think 5,000, 6,000 industry people with the log line. And basically they're told that this is like one of the best scripts that we've read in the past week or month, whatever it is. And uh, my script was one of them. It was, you know, got like an eight out of 10, which, I think like 3 or 4% of people or no like 3% of people get uh it was awesome like really proud of myself for it at the time and uh what genre Yeah, like action adventure. Yeah. Uh, what
0: was this called?
2: It's called The Fisherman of Isla Morada. Uh it's basically long story long story short uh it's about a, a fisherman, like a lonely old retired fisherman who lives on the Florida Keys on the island of Isla Morada and he, you know, He's a kind of a loner, and he has this radio set that he he uses to speak with fishermen while they're out at sea. So, you know, he doesn't go out to sea anymore, but he loves to see so much that he lives next to it, and his entire life is it, because that's where all of his friends are, they are fishermen outside. And uh, one day this storm just comes over the Gulf of Mexico, while one of his friends is out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, so he decides to get in his boat and go out and try to save him. So he goes into the storm to, uh, try save his buddy, and pretty, uh, like pretty like emotional and powerful, but it's, it was also,
0: did he save his friend?
2: Yeah. He saves his friend. Does he He saves his friend? He's, uh, he has a heroic end. I'll, I'll say that much, but, um, it's good. Like it just, but it kickstarted everything. Like it, it got me my first looks, uh, but it also told me that like, I could do this. Like I could actually do this. I could write a script that's better than other people's. And uh I just said fuck it and moved out here.
0: Now at this time where all your friends getting corporate gigs and working at banks and stuff. For sure. So talk about that shift, because I obviously went through the same thing.
2: Yeah, which is tough. I think um <clears throat> I think a lot of people like don't say it to your face, but they they probably secretly think, like, what the fuck is Kill doing? Like he wants to be a writer. Like what the fuck is Connor doing? Like he wants to make movies. Like it's people like think these things all the time, and I personally, I, I don't really know why, but nobody ever like said anything to my face, but I could tell that they were like, you know, yeah, like go for a couple of years, like have your fun, and then come back to Boston and get a real job. Um, and if anything, that just kind of like fueled me a little bit more. It's like I'm gonna fucking show you. It's
0: are like, you are you big on getting fueled by negativity? Yeah, you yeah, are.
2: that's that's how I that's literally like every single book apart from the last one my first two books started writing them because of like post breakup right post breakup yeah negative because of like negative feelings and they like writing's like therapeutic is as fuck like it's it is like the i could not live without it i have to do it um but like it's, i
0: wonder if that's an irish thing i do you think i i don't know but like just in my experience all my in my family, like they're so stubborn, and they're only truly motivated when it's a negative situation. <clears throat> Do you feel that way growing yeah. up, or
2: uh, I I would say so. I think um I like my both on both sides of my family, like they're ve- we're all very uh very definitely all very headstrong people, but also um very like uh sympathetic and and empathetic as well. So I never re- like I never get any negativity from anyone in my family. I'm very fortunate that nobody ever gives me shit um but at the same time like you you can tell like they're my, with my cousins and stuff that uh yeah like if you say something negative or somebody says something negative it that's that's the fire like no matter what it is it could be something stupid it could be something like big but any sort of negative comment kind of goes a long way in ireland because you people don't forget like
0: do you have moments in your head right now that have driven you for years
2: yeah yeah i would say there's there's a kid i went to high school with uh and he's 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 a good friend, like um he always has been. But he said like he said to me after I wrote that like short um after watching Midnight in Paris, I went into school and started telling my buddy who loves movies about it, and uh, we were like, Oh, let's write like a proper script together. So we were, you know, talking about it during during lunch. And one of the other lads in the class was like, Oh, like you guys wanna be writers still, like you guys wanna make movies. And it was s- something so innocent fucking haven't forgotten it it's like
0: bro it's because at that point and I I have all these grounding moments from when I was like 19 starting making videos it's because like you are so innocent and like all you want to do is just like lead with your passion and it's just that little bit of negativity
2: oh but I need it like I need it you think about it all the time all the time yeah and I fucking love it though like I if I didn't have any negativity like I'd still be writing but like I don't think my writing would be as good I wouldn't be as like meticulous,
0: Mm -hmm. you know? Most people would call it a mental disorder.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. it be, I do feel pretty chaotic sometimes, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's good. Like, I think it's good. I, I have really good people in my life that if I ever, uh, I think if I ever got too chaotic, they would bring me back down to life. But, uh, but you need
0: a little bit of that mania, man. I you think do. you need it.
2: Yeah, especially out here. Like,
0: also, you need, I, like, a lot of people, they try to dissuade you from having an ego. And I could be wrong, but I just think it's so essential in some points. Don't you? Like
2: Totally agree. Yeah, I actually, you know, I, I'm not sure if I ever said this to you, but I, I, I really strongly believe in, like, success in silence. I think for certain things, you have to be loud, especially out here. Like, you have to let people know what you're doing. Um, but in a lot of ways, I think success in silence is is powerful. You know, I think, I think people, obviously people like love to celebrate wins, but people don't always love to like support struggle, you know? So I believe like struggle in silence and success in silence because, you know, the people that actually give a shit are going to be there for both, you know, both ends of the spectrum, the struggle and the success.
0: But I also think documenting the struggle is one of the most powerful things you can do.
2: Totally, totally totally right, yeah and i I definitely do um, I do with my writing it's it's more personal for me I guess I, everything I write I save because I love looking back in it and thinking to myself like fuck, like I've come a long way like this is you know this is pretty shit, but you know I wrote this a year ago and then I compare something I wrote like a month ago and it's it's better you know I love I love seeing like the progress um
0: now kind of explain you know? like what your're I mean obviously we do a lot of this together but explain like what your hustle as a writer is like how you operate like what you go write something and you have to go meet people like what are you doing
2: uh from like ideation to you know showing it to people i would say i get an idea and i sit on it for as long as it takes i just let it like manifest but i literally will have an idea and i'll think about it all day every day I'll think about the characters. I'll think about like potential dialogue, potential scenes. And then once I'm ready to write it, I knock it out as fast as I can. I think the quickest I've ever written a first draft is like two or three days. Um, and then the reason why I do that is because I try to get it into other people's hands as quick as possible. Uh, because at the end of the day, like, you know... You're going to have to rewrite it anyway. Yeah, you're going to have to rewrite it no matter what. So get it into someone's hands, and then the second draft, try and knock that out in like two weeks. And then, yeah, and then just... Send it to as many people as possible. Try to be, like, specific in who I send it to as well. I you know, I don't necessarily care about who reads whatever I write, but I, I would like for the right person to read it. So I have certain people that I send scripts to for, for various kinds of feedback. But at the end of the day, like, it, it's a hustle. Like, you you know, you have a piece of intellectual property that nobody knows a single thing about. Like, you got to promote it. Like, you got to you know, you got to tell people like what it's about without really giving away like the essence of, of the stories that they still want to read it.
0: How do you get a, how do you gain a competitive? Let me, I might cut this up as a clip. So how do you gain a competitive advantage as a writer here? Like, what can you do to separate yourself?
2: I think be as unique as possible. I think a lot of people that I've met, they like, they'll send me scripts um, just for like feedback. And I'm reading them. Like I've seen this fucking movie before. I was like, you are literally just taking like a template for an action movie or a template for a comedy and just like rewriting, which, you know, in a lot of ways, like that's obviously how TV and and film works. You know, there are very, very much templates, but I think if you want to get noticed, like you have to be unique and in doing so you have to, you know, you have to take like a structure that everybody knows and flip it on its head. Like you have to really surprise people so that they don't forget who you are and and what style of writing you have. And that's what I strive for. I, I don't write shit that like, i've already seen i try to write things that like nobody's seen and in in a way it shoots you in the leg because um those scripts are harder to sell but i think it benefits you because when you know someone reads something that you've written and they like it but they might not be able to do anything with it when the right project comes along that requires like an innovative writer or you know just a very like outside the box thinker they'll think about the people who sent them scripts that were like just yeah, you know, not the traditional hollywood structure so i think being unique is by far the most important thing you you should do as a writer like just do what everyone else isn't doing
0: i i think what the biggest benefit to you is going to be over the next five ten years is like just meeting as many people as you can obviously For... that's a, that's like really the skill that you have that like i think in my experience from meeting other people here don't have is like you will go talk to anybody
2: yeah thank you yeah i definitely like you know the life of a of a writer is is definitely interesting. and i uh never see myself as like a super social person but yeah, that's, know, that's
0: I, you stuck in your own head it's
2: though. me stuck in my own head i i fucking live inside my own head because that's where all the characters are that's where like the stories are and that's probably it's where all the like. demons like, are yeah <laughs> but it's true like yeah. i spent so much time in my own head uh that like definitely i feel sometimes feel weird in like real life um
0: everyone feels that way but everyone
2: does everyone has social anxiety imagine if
0: you were in my brain for a day
2: i would not be able to live in
0: i don't think but that's but similarly i don't think i could be in your brain for a day either maybe not yeah it's war every day in this (laughs) thing man (laughs) it never ends brother
2: (laughs) yeah i i don't know I, i i do like i definitely think like meeting people no matter what you're doing, is the most important thing because like filmmaking is a collaborative process like no writer is better than like the other cast and crew like no director is better than the other cast and crew like without all those essential parts like a film just like wouldn't get made
0: truthfully the equation i think in making a great film is actually equal like every ingredient is equal directors is important as the producer is important as the writer as important as the actor but i think actors are the most important important because they drive the content but they're also the most replaceable
2: interesting would you agree i i like i have to say they like it seems like that would be the answer but like i know right like turnover for writers especially for like tv shows and even film projects like it can be pretty crazy like
0: which is because the prerequisites to start writing are like less than every other position
2: yeah it's like to so be a
0: producer you've had to produce a bunch of shit to direct you have to direct a bunch of shit right you can just start at your crib
2: yeah you can just exactly yeah you can do writing you can write anywhere but at the same time you know definitely replaceable because you know words are are just words at the end of the day and uh someone might not like the words the word choice that you've you know that you've done for whatever project and they like someone else so they'll just bring another person in because at the end of the day like the work like the great thing about writing is like once you have a draft, like that is done. Like it is set in stone. Like you have a baseline and then you can just like rework it. You know, you don't need it doesn't need to be the same writer. You know, you can bring in a new writer, you can do this and do that, and and you still have like this template uh that you can work off. So as much as like actors are definitely replaceable, like writers are super replaceable as well.
0: Now, if I was I think you should put out in the world like you're gonna look back on this video in like let's say five years where do you want to be positioned like what is done
2: five years yeah
0: and then and then do fifteen years after that
2: in five years I would like to have five books published total with, total one of which I want to be a New York Times bestseller I genuinely think the book that I just wrote could be a New York Times bestseller because it's based on a, a real life scandal and those know those stories like really really sell but this one's also an amazing story so yeah i really hope this one is is that book but definitely five years new york times bestseller for the literature side of things and then screenwriting i want to have um definitely a few produced films like under my belt uh, that i wrote yeah definitely at least like two or three in the next five years you know that's that's my goal um and then 15 years i want to have an oscar man i want to have a best a best original screenplay or best adapted screenplay Oscar.
0: So that's your pinnacle goal.
2: That is my goal. Like that has always been my goal. Me and my buddy <clears throat> used to always say uh, we were going to be the youngest Oscar winners for sc- for screenwriting in history. Because how old was Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? 26, 27. Okay. Uh, so that boat's fucking left the dock. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, I still want one, man. I I want one. So 15 years. That's that is the goal.
0: Do you guys want to hear my 20-year goal?
2: Let's hear
0: it. I feel obligated to share since you've shared it. Um, my pinnacle goal is I would like to produce a Marvel f- film and be in a Marvel movie. And then I'm leaving the city. I'm, I'm done <laughs> after that. That's my Hollywood goal. Then I'll, I want to start up some sort of other business, but that's the pinnacle here. Be the leading man in a Marvel movie, and which is obviously every delusional goal of all time for anyone who comes here and then produce a Marvel movie
2: same movie you want to produce the it movie doesn't like matter it. I just need
0: those are my two goals
2: you would make a good Marvel villain I think as well that's the most insulting thing up? you've ever said <laughs> Marvel villains are awesome
0: I don't care where I'm positioned in the equation I don't care okay. but that just for me is like such a huge lofty goal that it allows me to keep going
2: yeah yeah but you need like you need those if you have if goals. you have
0: weak I think if you have weak goals then you just don't you won't perform
2: yeah what is that uh what's that saying like shoot for the moon shoot
0: for the stars shoot. aim for the. shoot for the stars aim for the moon
2: shoot for the stars <laughs> exactly yeah A- aim any- for the
0: stars shoot for the moon <laughs> I'm half dyslexic
2: Other way Aim really, really high because, you know, the higher you aim, the higher you're going to go. Understood. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. I think those are great goals, and I think you're going to get there.
2: I hope so. I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to help time you time. any way I can, man. Dude, together. Maybe we will be nominated for Maybe the Marvel film.
0: Those don't normally win the awards.
2: I think I think times are changing, man. Nobody nobody cares about the Oscars like they used to. Like, the Oscars themselves are are going to be totally different in 15 years.
0: Now let me ask you this. I know the Webby Awards might be more important who knows? than the Oscars. Yeah,
2: nobody cares about the Oscars anymore. I think people who care are film people um, from
0: that old system.
2: Yeah, but then the general public like I think this year's Oscars like you know obviously with the slap and stuff it got some uh, got some traction, but I think pre slap like they were anticipating this to be the lowest viewed uh, ceremony in history. For sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so then let me rephrase my goal. I just want to be the leading man of a billion dollar content franchise. Because it could be in another form.
2: Could be, yeah. Does it have to be superheroes?
0: No. But I think Conrad would make a good hero, Conrad, don't you? Yeah, Conrad. So that's the film good. Kill and I have finished. The screenplay is Conrad. Essentially, we're ready to go. I know how to shoot it, where to shoot it. We just need the bread.
2: Yeah. I can't, well, we, we shouldn't give anything away. But what I will say is it is definitely unique
0: there's one scene there is one scene that <laughs> there's I, one scene that's people are gonna drop dead
2: connor calls me one day and i might have known connor for like a month at this point he's like telling me about this scene that he wants me to write and i am sitting there like is this guy like is this serious <laughs> so i have to call our mutual friend and i was like bro i was like you know is connor like uh, <laughs> Is connor all right like you see he's demented yeah and then i wrote it and it's like the best scene in the film it's going to be hilarious. It is by far the best scene in the film. It's it's pretty genius like when it's uh, lined up with the rest of the story. So we're excited to the show you The music is going to be
0: very important with that scene.
2: The music is going to be key. That and then the final scene. We already know everything. That it's good. The, the formula is there. Yeah. It's going to be
0: entertaining as fuck. If we just get all the right players, we we need a sick VFX team. For sure. But yeah. if we get all the right players together, I think... It could be a, a little mini fucking Zuvie, man.
2: It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: I definitely want to shoot it in Massachusetts too, for sure. Um, okay. I want you to talk a little bit about your book that you just finished. Mm. So, because I know you're not huge on the content, but at least we can cut you up like a manicured clip that you can post
2: at some Perfect. point. Perfect. Yeah. I. Uh, <clears throat> so, I recently wrote a book called Death by a Million Papercuts. Um, it essentially, it's about a a woman who was married to this man for about 30 years, and uh, the man was a headmaster of a very prestigious boarding school in New England. Now, this is all a totally true story, um, one day the FBI come knocking on her door and tell her that uh, there's an active investigation against her husband because he had sexually assaulted a bunch of girls like early in his tenure at the school. And uh, essentially the, the feds, they, they want her to work with them against her husband. So the whole book is 100% from her point of view. Um, it's, it's about her kind of relationship with the boarding school, husband, her own children, and then the spotlight team at the Boston Globe. Uh, because interestingly enough, the Globe were the, the head reporters on uh, you know this entire case after the spotlight thing with the Catholic Church, they started going after these boarding schools, so I wrote this book with uh, a lot of help from private investigators, journalists, and uh, the woman herself, I interviewed her for about 80 hours over six or seven weeks, so got to know her really well, and uh, the book has been well received so far, it's in the hands of some managers and agents, but I'm, uh, I'm shopping it around, I'm looking for a literary agent, I'm, I'm aiming really, really high with this one.
0: Does it make you nervous that you wrote a hit piece on a dude, essentially?
2: Not at all. I actually, uh, I welcome it. I kind of hope one day this man uh, reaches out to me or, you know, tries to sue me or something, because at the end of the day, I'll give you guys a little spoiler. He fled the country. He uh, fled the country. There's still an active investigation. Like, you know, if the fucker wants to come back, he can come back. But uh, I'm not afraid to release this book and... And it is, you know, candidly, it is fictionalized, name states, places all, all change. But the heart of the story, everything that is in the book happened.
0: It's this weird, like, gene that journalists and writers have where they're like, we need to get to the truth. Like, have you always had that? Yeah. Because I would totally avoid the truth. I do it every day. You know what no, I'm saying?
2: I love this shit. Yeah. Like, when I was allowed to kind of, I was given the bone, like, Fucking go, go, like, figure figure all this stuff out. Like, I loved it. Like, I love feeling like a private investigator. Like, I love being on the phone with actual PIs and, like, hearing what they did and how they got this information. And, and then basically just connecting the dots so that the story has a narrative. And, uh, you know, a reader can, like, read it with, like, a good flow and, and not feel like they're reading, like, a police report, you know?
0: You're built for this, man.
2: Dude, I love it. Yeah, I love it. This, It's my passion. Like, I just... I never stopped thinking about it.
0: What other stories are out there right now that you would like to develop a a book on or a story or a screenplay?
2: It's a great, uh, great question. I I think um, there's, there's one thing I've been thinking about a lot and uh, I don't quite know I'm I'm in my manifesting stage, but it's, uh, it circles around the, you know, like the Malaysian air flight that just like disappeared. I'm really like intrigued by like air disasters. And I don't think there are a lot of, like, really great stories, like, put to film about, like, air disasters. I know there are tons of books, and there are some really great movies, like, Flight and, like, Sully and and, and all that. Um, But I would love to see one from the perspective on the ground. Like, don't even show the airplane, like, don't even show the airplane taking off or, like, disappearing or anyone on board, like like a real life mystery, like a real true mystery about like an airplane that just disappears. Cause there's so, there are like 300 lives on board of an airplane. Like they all have families. Like it's such like an intense, like emotionally intense thing to happen and to have like no closure, I think is pretty powerful. So I would plan on doing something like how the movie Zodiac was done where well, there's no conclusion.
0: What do they think happened to that flight? Didn't they, they say China?
2: I think they think uh it was the pilot was suicidal and he just
0: but they never found the plane right? I think
2: they found parts in like the Indian Ocean. Um but yeah, I think and I like I just think it's like a really powerful thing and and uh for like like an air disaster to happen like it's just it just I, I just get the vibe that you know it's just you can't spin it into a positive but like in everything I write, like I love trying to find the light in really dark situations. And I think this would be a real real challenge for me to find the light.
0: In this <laughs> Good <kind> luck, bro. Of-
2: <laughs> yeah. But I think it can be done. And I think if, if done well, if executed well, it could be a great movie or book.
0: Gio gave us the five minutes, but I'm going to ask you one more question. Then we'll do the whole closing segment. Um, why do you think catastrophes happen? Like what is there a divine force that makes it happen? Like...
2: I don't know, I, I I don't think so. I definitely uh I de- like I do believe in God and, and all that stuff and I was definitely I was raised uh Catholic and just it's always kinda of stuck with me. But I don't think it's it's kind of like a wrathful thing that like these tragedies happen because of like some force or whatever. I just think they they just happen. Like I just think like these things just like fucking happen. And I think like at the end of the day, it kind of just comes down to like human error, like if it's like a plane crash or something or like whatever like human error like I don't think turbulence has taken down a plane since the seventies you know like every plane plane crash has been because of technological or human error, but even like a technological error like human built that plane like planes going down like it was it's a human's fault, but then when you get to like natural disasters, I think it's just straight up like the atmosphere I think it's just you know. It just it's a happens. very binary way to think but yeah.
0: you don't think there's an outside force that causes these like terrible things to happen and also the good things in the world
2: you know i like i i personally don't like i personally don't think so but that being said like i'm a very su- superstitious person um but i think it's because i watch too many movies like i'll be sitting somewhere and, and just get like a bad feeling that something's gonna happen but then nothing ever does but then i know a lot of people who uh have gotten really bad feelings and specifically, you know, I have a buddy whose father passed away and he told me that like three weeks before his dad passed away, he got this like gut wrenching feeling that his dad was, you know, going to die. And, uh, that's and, intuition. And he did. Yeah. So his he, dad died suddenly. His dad died like three weeks later, suddenly. Yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, pretty nuts. Like, so that kind of stuff, like, how can you explain, you know, and, and you also can't just call it like a coincidence. Cause it's like an actual thing that happened. But that being said, like, I don't know if there is, like, a force driving it. I just think, like, you know, you just have to, like, just listen to yourself and, like, what you are thinking. I don't know. You, like, you create your own reality. Like, if that's what you think, then, you know, run with it. But if you also want to look at things, like, very black and white, like, you can do that as well. Like, once it happens, like, it, it happens, you know?
0: That was my favorite thing about the Steve Job book is when he talked about bending reality because he did it all the time. He, like, literally lived in his own brain. He morphed the world around him. It's just really interesting. Um, Okay. I'm sure we'll do another one of these soon. Yeah. You did a great job on camera, man.
2: Thanks, fam. Yeah.
0: You're built for this town, brother. <laughs> so
2: I'm happy to be here. This is great.
0: Yeah, all right. You know how we start in the episode, but I want to create a, a funny little clip real quick because you were talking about being raised Catholic, and it brings me back to my days as a, what do you call a young kid in Ireland? A ute? A lad.
2: A ute? <laughs>
0: is it a lad
2: yeah like yeah a lad like
0: what's a little kid in ireland like a little fella okay when i was a little fella seven years old front pew in saint elizabeth's church wide-eyed excited for the church service but then i hear a bellowing voice i look up there's a man up in the balcony his voice begins to roar Amen, 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 Thank you. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Kill, that's how we start in the episode. Hi, your name, blank. This is my golden hour. Hi, your name, blank. That was my golden hour. Well executed. Good work, Gio. Thank you for your help. Kill, take us away, brother.
2: All right i'm killian dunn and this is my golden hour no
0: no hi i'm killian dunn
2: hi i'm killian dunn and this is my golden hour hi i'm killian dunn and that was my golden hour
0: great work man oh wait wait wait. before you go can you tell me what your favorite episode out here has been thus far
2: oh that is a good one um i really
0: i also want to hear from you too Gio.
2: i really like the johan lennox episode i think uh you know not to pump your tires too much but I think you uh you gave a, an incredible interview um you know you you touched on all the like main points that you know career-wise you know he came to promote but you got to like his core like you found out what he loves like you found out what like you know he when he wakes up in the morning like what he looks forward to at the end of the day so that was really interesting I don't think uh I don't think I was expecting that, which is why I loved it so much.
0: I'm surprised you didn't say one of these writers who just talked about the longevity of their career and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, those are, those are great to listen to. But I think, uh, f- from a purely like entertaining point of view, I think Johan's episode was just, just it was so well like executed, and the structure of it was, was so great that like that 45 minutes, that hour just like went by. Like that. Boom. Yeah.
0: Cool. Gio, tell me. Johnny Hickey?
2: Johnny's was great. Uh, yeah. yeah. Johnny's was great as well.
0: Yeah. He's like, dude, I'm going to drive this fucking Lambo through these gr- these glass windows right now, brother. <laughs> that was great. And I felt a Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And we'll wrap it on up. And Gio, I got you a shirt, man. And Kill, I got you a new shirt. All right. I love it. Boom. Good work, man. Thank you. Golden
1: Deer Productions. Golden
0: Deer. Oh oh wait was that not it Hey enter just if you have to enter